get started in here. It's Torres to get Chelsea. Oh, 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 Welcome to the football show. Coming up, we're going to be talking Ireland's crunch tie away to Austria, populous England versus Scotland, and Bundesliga and UEFA commentator Rob Daly is going to talk us through the most hated team in Germany. We're going to start with a roll call today. End the call, are you here? I'm here. And Oshie McQuarns, are you here? Present. Lads, in general, like, how do you feel about... I mean, Oshin, I know you're fond of Leeds United. How would you feel if they were taken over by such an entity who changed the badge to Red Bull, the shorts were now red, and... But you got to be bankrolled to the Premier League. What was your opinion on that? Yeah, it's it's a big dilemma. I mean, it, there was talk a couple of years ago of Red Bull taking over at Leeds, and there was I saw a lot on Twitter of would we kind of sell our history to to, to get back up to the big time. It's it's something that you really need to sit down and think about. I think it, I mean there's so, there is so much history at clubs like that, like it, especially for Leeds United. I don't think I think it's it's kind of buying it's buying to sell you kind of in in a way mm. like it's it's a cash 22 you can't really win because you're you're okay you're in the premier league you're maybe doing well in the premier league but like, what have you sacrificed for that i mean i think personally as a leeds fan i wouldn't like it because we have so much tradition such a big club so much history i wouldn't like to, to do something like that i did hear talk of swindon maybe getting taken over by red bull i don't know how that would go down in swindon as a club i'm sure a club have a great amount of history there they were a Premier League side of course once but no I just for me I think I wouldn't be able to to kind of live with it right, sure without further ado we'll just play you the interview here now but even though they are the most hated club in Germany at the moment they do seem to be gathering a bit of support from the people in the city why do you think they've taken to the club it, you know you're asking great questions that's an excellent point as well because you know East Germany, I don't think has had a team in the Bundesliga since Energy Cottbus, maybe. I think I can't quite remember. So sometimes since the former East Germany had a team. And also Leipzig hadn't had, you know, it's a big place and it hadn't had a successful team. From it, they have this state-of-the-art, wonderful, you know, there's a wonderful football stadium in Leipzig now. They're packing it out with, uh, I commentated on um, their 3-1 win uh, recently uh, against Werder Bremen, where Serge Gnabry actually scored for Bremen having left Arsenal in the summer, and it was packed out, 43,000 people there. You know, they see it as their local community, even though the club's new, and we're seeing new football franchises pop up, franchises pop up all over the world. You know, you look at someone like New York City FC, that's yeah. Manchester City in New York, and Manchester City are a company. So, you know, there's, there's all little variations of this going on, but because it's so against the traditional ideas of German football, that's why people are angry. The people of Leipzig, I'm sure, are not... They don't care. And, and in Germany, they're being labelled uh, Bayern Jäger uh, Nummer 1, which is um, Bayern Hunters Number 1. That They're the closest <laughs> team to Bayern at the moment, just two points behind the team that everyone expects will be champions eventually. Just on a final note, Rob, before we let you go, do you think like football is going to operate in the future more like this? Like, Are we on the verge of seeing something like a McDonald's FC or a Burger King football <laughs> club? Or? I really hope we don't see that. <laughs> uh, with Ronald McDonald 
prancing down the touchline as a mascot. <laughs> Although I was a fan of the Hamburglar. I liked his, <laughs> I liked his gear. Um, I think, uh, you know, you'd, in a way, you'd hope not. I'm, you know, when I go, to, I'm in Germany sort of once a week at the moment, and you speak to fans, and there's genuine animosity for RB Leipzig. Outside of Germany, I think there's a mild respect for some of the things that they've done, certainly in, in, in keeping pace with Bayern in the, in the opening weeks of the season. I think we will see more of this. You know, Leipzig aren't being challenged by the authorities about their membership model particularly. They're getting away with it. Um, but the thing I would point to is how many teams have done it already? Uh, how many companies have bought up football clubs and have done this? It isn't many. In terms of a total rebrand, like the Leipzig thing, you know, mm. we look at Red Bull Salzburg. Again, that had great, uh, there was great, there's been great friction to that uh, in Austria as well. We haven't seen it. I mean, I don't know. If there, there are companies who have pre existing interest in football clubs. So, um, sorry if I'm rambling on here. By <laughs> no, not at all. Example. Yeah. It's, a, uh, it's so, actually so, it's sneaking into England a little bit now because Tottenham are uh, giving away their naming rights and Uber are currently, they're, they're currently the highest bidder. So, the new stadium. Yeah. Yeah. That. I mean, that's very American, isn't it? I mean, we've seen a lot of that in America. Things like the Staples Arena, and um, they've tried. You know, there, there has been resistance to it here, but we're, you know, more and more um, resistance is waning to that kind of thing. I mean, you look into the championship, and you look at half the stadiums, and mm. you go, Who, "What on earth is that stadium?" The King Power. I like to think I know a bit about football, sports, direct. but because. The, Sponsors come in and just rename these stadiums every season something different. You know, I suppose a lot of those clubs need money, and the Premier League are just getting cash thrown at them. I mean, you know, it's it's going to take some real strong will. But heaven forbid, some clubs should can show a bit of you know a bit of mm. friction if they don't want to rename their stadium to to keep it as Anfield or Old Trafford rather than Burger King Anfield <laughs> or or Wimpy Old Trafford. I think that suits. <laughs> Has a ring What's to it. What's the us? Irish one? What's the Irish sort of McDonald's thing? Oh, Supermax. Yeah, Supermax. Supermax, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so I, think, yeah, I don't think we're going to see the Supermax Olympic Stadium, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, brilliant. Thanks very much, Rob. It was great to have you on. We now move on to a story which, in my honest opinion, gets to me a little. As we know, a couple of months ago, 71 people lost their life in a plane crash in Colombia. On board the plane was the Brazilian side Chapecoense and several journalists. Since the disaster, tributes have been continuous and the side have now gathered themselves and rebuilt the team and are back playing football. Now they have signed a deal with Qatar Airlines for a shirt sponsorship. Somebody who has commented uh, on this topic as it broke and as it developed, Ewan McKenna, and he joins us on the phone from Brazil. Ewan, first of all, is there a sense of tragic irony around this that uh, Qatar Airlines, an airline company, are sponsoring a team that that had their team wiped out in a plane crash? It's an odd one and one that I've been trying to get my, my head around because the news only broke, I think, about a week ago. Um, it was first reported that this might be happening. In fairness to Qatar Airways, and God forbid that me defending a, a massive multinational... Um, I mean, they're not a small airline. They've they've done nothing wrong. Um, there's a lot of other things that grate more with this story from day one with me than this. Um, it grated with me that the Daily Mail in England uh, reported that the pilot was a hero for allegedly dumping fuel while he circled when the plane 
that he was flying an Avrojet cannot dump fuel, and this man was effectively a murderer. Um, it grated with me that Brazilian football clubs came out before the bodies were even cold and offered players on loan to Chapo Guenzi for next season as if this was a football story rather than a human story. It, it grated with me that Internacional, a, a big club in Porto Alegre, who, who were relegated last year, unheard of given their size, they tried to stop relegation happening from the league in lieu of this tragedy by taking advantage of it. And other stuff still grates with me. It grates with me that the uh, dispatcher who tried to warn the airline and dispatchers in airlines, they're usually younger people without much authority. She tried to stop them from flying and was told basically to shut up. Um, she wants extradition to, or she wants to, to, to flee Bolivia to come to Brazil. She hasn't been allowed and now faces a court case against her in Bolivia for not managing to stop the plane taking off. Um, and then even with the club, they played their they played their first home competitive game since the accident uh, about ten days ago. Their stadium holds twenty two thousand people. Seven thousand people showed up for that game. So there's a lot of things that I think great with me before a company trying to to put money money into them. Um, I, it does. I mean, it does feel a little bit weird. But if the money helps, so be it. Qatar Airlines have done nothing wrong, and it's it's hardly surprising that. Uh, a major company is looking to get people to talk about them through a marketing deal. Let's go straight over to the Harling Championship with Paul Merson, who's watching the game at Nolan Park. Kilkenny versus Wexford Merce. Oh, I thought this was going to be lively, Jeff, but the Kilkenny boys have come out with sticks, Jeff. Oh, I don't believe it! So the Wexford lads! <laughs> this could kick off lively, Jeff. Bill Point is absolutely disgraceful. Point. You know, and then, you know, Mickey Hart jumping up and down and cheering and smiling afterwards as if they've achieved something good. I'll tell you what they've achieved. They've achieved something absolutely rotten. And they're becoming a template for clubs and for counties all over the country now. Young teams going out, an under-16 match on Wednesday night. Two sweepers methodically pulling down the opposing team as they're coming up the field. This is how you do it, you get the job done. This is the new language. The, euphemis the euphemism for cheating is closing the game out. That, that what, he, what Sean Cavanagh did, I cannot believe that somebody awarded him the man of the match. That was a total and absolute disgrace. That's the antithesis, hold on, of what Gaelic games are about. You're supposed to be able to look your opponent in the face. What, we, what do we teach kids? So last week we witnessed one of the most embarrassing performances from a minor county team uh, probably ever. It was kind of it, it was it was kind of embarrassing and it was it was disheartening for the team. Wexford lost by 71 points to, or Wexford beat Kilkenny by 71 points in a minor county semi-final. We have Caleb Roach on the phone now, a man who has been part of the Kilkenny footballing panel since he was 16. Uh, Caleb, thanks very much for coming on. No hassle talk. It's been a bit of an embarrassing week for Kilkenny minor football. Uh, what's your take on the game last week? Oh, I was actually at the match myself, so I was. And um, I suppose a very disappointing result, like, because I suppose when you put, throw a team together three weeks before a match, what do you expect really, like, you know? And when there is no uh, club football structure in Kilkenny, how are you supposed to get a team to compete at inter-county level, like? You know, there's club football, a team in club football in Kilkenny, minor team, is guaranteed one football match a year. Yeah. And even if you win that match, as my own club, we uh, won the semi-final last year's championship. We got a walk over in the quarter-final. We won the semi-final. 
and we're still waiting on last year's county final to be played. Like, uh, I don't know how they can expect to put a team into inter-county when there is no club structure, like, you know. They, um, and as I say, I was at the match myself the other day and I felt sorry for the young lads, to be honest, like, and especially when you had some of the hierarchy of the county boards sitting there at the start of the match, all laughing and glowing, didn't care about the match, but as the scoreline started to go the other way, they suddenly disappeared, you know, it's not good enough, like. Caleb, uh, I'm I, I'm from Waterford first and foremost, and I'm I'm happy when Kilkenny get beaten as the hurlers, you know, just just from a rival point. But I'm I'm not happy to see what what happened transpire last week. Um, but in in my county's case, uh, we 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 have a similar situation. Although we do have for people who or we have more people who are willing to play football. We've where I'm from, West Waterford, it's a stronghold, but. Uh, yeah. Uh, we had a we had a thing when our county final was played. Senior county final was played the day before the Munster semi final against Nemo Rangers yeah. and uh, Strabley, who who turned out to win. Yeah. They they did not turn up for the division four uh, for the for the senior county team. They they in protest against the county board. They they said they they're not going to take part. Do you think even if you guys are some some at senior level, uh, if you take a stand, that anything will be done? I don't think so, to be honest. Like the law was, they don't really care. To be honest, once they get get a team to fulfil a fixture, as far as I can see, you know, it's just to tick boxes for them. I think, you know, they they took the senior team or the junior team, we'll say, out of the national league a couple of years ago, and now they have them playing over in in um, in Britain, which is <clears throat> great. They're playing football, all right, and it was great to win it last year and all that. But realistically, like you don't want to be going to to England to play Gaelic football. Like you want yeah. to be playing it in Ireland. You know, you want to be competing with teams here, whether it be a junior level or whatever. You know, there has to be more done for it. But I don't think they're going to do anything in the near future anyway. They're also saying, you know, a lot of people in comments on Facebook and stuff have been saying that they should be forcing Kilkenny people. Do you think that's a way forward as well? If I, I, personally, in my opinion, you can't force someone to do something they don't want to do. No, but like all you have to do, in my view, is put a proper structure underage for underage teams and say at the start of the year, say to teams, all the teams in Kilkenny, do you want to play football? If you want to play a football, put in a football team. Simple as that. You'd get your underage teams having playing football, so you would. So when they do come to minor and these cases, like you will have a better better team. Like the only proper age structure in Kenny that's played properly in football is under fourteen level. Which, in fairness, there's a league championship yeah. to get enough games in both. Like, and we seen last year where the O'Loughlin Gales under fourteen team and Dan's fourth under fourteen team competed well in the field and yeah. both of them got to two finals I'm not sure what division it was in now it wasn't the top ones you know but they got to it it just shows when they're playing regular football they will compete with other teams around the country like. Caleb that's brilliant thanks very much for coming on no hassle at all thank you that was he, he was passionate wasn't he he seemed a lot. He seemed very disheartened by it. Yeah, no, I I can totally feel where he's coming from, uh, especially with the county board. I think it was more for the media. Uh, like the chairman came out and said, uh, "I'm very sorry for the young lads who, who, who how this happened to." But uh, the, the, the same thing the same thing happened in Waterford for the for the the, the club, and uh, 
the one of the former managers, Jackson Kiley, came out and he said to the Irish Examiner, he said that will not change anything. He was like, that was a waste of time. He said because it's just for the media to show that oh we're we're putting in, for the GAA, I suppose, to, to show them in a more positive light. It is an absolute disgrace. And I'm not sure if you're aware with the hurling banter page, he put up a thing, uh, stick stick to the hurling lads or something like that. He put a little little bit of a jab. He's a Clare man. But uh, he also, uh, under the comments, th- there was some very, very, very passionate posts saying, these are young lads, you know, mental health is such an issue with young lads yeah. at this age. Uh, getting beaten by 71 points in any sport uh, or whatever the, whatever the system you're playing in is so embarrassing. And I, my, my heart does go out to him. Uh, I I hope no, I, my worst enemy doesn't. If 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 Cork or Tipperary, if that happened to, I it, I I would feel very very sad, you know. The men and green, Welcome to Action Replay Extra Times Rugby Podcast. What a fascinating win weekend of rugby. We had Australia's magnificent win over Wales. We had Ireland's historic win over the All Blacks in Chicago. And really was just a, a fantastic weekend of, of rugby all, all round. Australia were really convincing, I suppose, for the first time in a while, Billy. But, I mean, the, the story of the weekend was definitely the Ireland and, and the All Blacks in Chicago. Oh, I pay no attention to what happened in the Millennium Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> History was made. Like, where were you when the All Blacks lost to Ireland I don't know about you Jack but I was sitting in the dingiest pub in Cork which was actually just quite uh, which was actually just quite frankly scary I was in the um, dingiest pub in Loud so not, really? too, not too different oh. maybe not as scary I mean, we as... must have been thinking about each other but uh, oh, it was just incredible to see and the whole experience it was numbing and I think I almost missed it but coming back to Dublin and meeting everyone and, and talking to people and, and talking to Brent as, as we're about to it was just it was just a phenomenal day and um, my dad was actually over there for the match and he was sending me constant updates and phone calls so it was just a terrific weekend of rugby. Were they uh, intoxicated phone calls or were they... Uh, were no, they... no, they weren't. He was very much focused on the game, um, fair play to him, uh, but he co- I couldn't hear him through the sheer noise of Soldier Field. It looks like an incredible stadium. I'm sure it's an incredible it stadium like to watch rugby in as stadium. well. But uh, no, I'm very interested for people to hear about what Brent Pope has to say about the match because... It was terrific. Yeah, we've talked to Brent a couple of times and he's he's always insightful, always got some really good things to talk about. So we'll play that for you now. I suppose off the emotion of it, it was just, I mean, what a weekend to be Irish. I mean, it, it, one of these games that we never thought we quite good. I think we always thought that maybe it might happen one day, but we weren't sure when that day would come. I think everyone thought it was going to come three years ago when we were up. 19 points at half time, 17 points up on the weekend and even still, they drew it back to four with another 20 minutes to play. So... We managed to hang on and we managed to score an extra try. We put 40 points on the best team in the world. A team that has 18 straight wins, two World Cups, best team in rugby, best team possibly in world sport, one of the most dominant teams in world sport. And to beat them in that, in that manner in Chicago, it's going to set up an even better game now in Dublin in two weeks. So we'll get into that a bit more later. But right now, without any further ado, we have Brent Pope. What did you think of the Ireland-New Zealand game on the weekend? Did you think that Saturday in Chicago, of, of all the games, 28 games, 27 losses, did you think that Saturday was finally going to be the day where Ireland toppled New, toppled New Zealand? No, is the honest answer. I think that uh, I was over in Chicago myself for the match and I was speaking at a number of events with uh, both New Zealanders and, and Irish at it. And I think, you know, I said to them, look, you know, you don't want to, you obviously want, it's going to happen at some stage. I just didn't feel that it would be at that stage. And I think that's the way most people feel. Everybody can get up and, 
these sort of, um, I suppose, uh, get up in these audiences and say, oh, yeah, this is the day that Ireland are going to win. But if you look at the history and you look at the teams that have gone before and you look at the way that the All Blacks have been playing and you look at the fact that Ireland was probably didn't have that much preparation time, you'd have to say that, you know, everything was pointed against them. Having said that, having been over there for the Cubs match and see what they did and, you know, it's been the year of the underdog, I suppose, looking back in retrospect. I always thought New Zealand had a slight weakness and I thought it was... And it's sort of an, an arrogance of selection. I think that losing Brody Vitalik and uh, and Whitelock was a huge loss to them. I think that trying to put Jeremy Kino in there didn't work for them. But that's all in retrospect. To answer your first question, no, I didn't think. I thought I thought about twelve or fifteen points would have been a a pretty good result uh, flying to lose by. But uh, they were magnificent. It's as simple as that, you know. Terrific weekend of rugby, and like he said at the very start, there was absolutely no reason why Ireland should have won that game going into it. No. But you talked about someday we'd we'd think about think about winning the game and you know, maybe the lead up would be we'd we'd beat England in Twickenham and South Africa would come to Ireland and, and we'd beat them, then Australia and Paul O'Connell's son would, would eventually on his debut come into the team and then we'd beat New Zealand. But to come into them in their run of form and us off the back of a pretty disappointing series loss to South Africa, it was just it was all the all the more special for that. Now we're joined in studio now with Ian McKinley, formerly of Leinster and Ireland, and now playing in Italy. Uh, Ian, thanks very much for coming. No problem. Uh, firstly, can you just give us a run through of your injury? What actually happened to you in the beginning? So in 2010, I was playing a club game for UCD and at the bottom of a rook. Uh, after about the second minute of the game, I was on my back and unfortunately a teammate uh, stood stood on my eyeball and it perforated my, my eye. So it, was a, it wasn't pretty. <laughs> and you, you were left with uh, damage to your eye to the extent where you couldn't you couldn't play. At such a young age, it must have been frustrating for you. Yeah, it was very, very difficult. And uh, it sort of, in the interim, ch- changes your life uh, for certainly a few months uh, in terms of driving, in terms of pouring uh, a glass of water. Uh, your peripheral vision is sort of skewed, but eventually you get that back and... Uh, Everything is okay now, thankfully. You've uh, you've since had the chance to return to Ireland yes. with uh, Treviso at the ODS. You talked about a roller coaster of emotions. What was it like returning to the ODS? Yeah, well, even even previously, I, I played a game actually up in Ulster uh, for Zebra, but uh, obviously this game was a lot closer to to yeah. the heart. Playing in Leinster, uh, honestly, the first thing was huge disappointment because we lost and we had the, we had the opportunity to actually win that yeah. game. Um, but when you reflect further and you look back uh, down the line, you realise the magnitude of the achievement to get to get to that place. So um, I was humbled by the the humbled by the reaction I got from the crowd when I came on. Uh, it was just disappointing we couldn't finish the game. And at the end of the day, that was my job to finish off the game. But we we didn't do it. But uh, it's certainly a memory that I will never never ever forget. What were you happy with about your side? Oh, happy, happy, everything, everything, very good, very happy with my team. But you didn't win, did you, Brendan? Yeah, when we didn't win, it's true. Yeah. It Why didn't you win? win? Oh, good question, that. Very good question. Win. It's, it's important to win. It is important to win. We must try harder. Absolutely, yeah. So you think it's a lack of effort? Oh, lack of effort, lack of effort. Can't think it's a lack of effort. Wouldn't so, never. So, 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 so what is it, Brendan? Uh, what would it be? Let me think. Uh, I can't. I'm not sure. I'll have to think about that one. Think about it deeply. Moving on to rugby, we've got Gordon Darcy on the line who's going to talk us through the Leinster versus Munster game coming up this weekend. Um, Gordon wrote a piece in the Irish Times entitled The Derby That Needs to Get Back to Its Roots. 
How do you think this game ranks today? Because I remember the 2008 Heineken Cup semi-final, obviously the one in Crow Park. Not only did you have Irish internationals on both sides, I mean, look, you can go through a lot of them, yourself, Brian, Shane, you had Paul and Raj on the other side, but then you also had guys like, you know, the Rocky Elsom, Dougie Howlett was on the Munster team as well. Um, do you still, there seem to be a lot of probably esteem and probably, you know, there's a lot of uh, international players in those games where maybe in Irish rugby today we might not see the same amount of international players. I think a lot of those players would now be playing in England and France. Do you, do you still think the game has the same amount of uh, maybe prestige as what it might have had 10 years ago? Like the game overall or this particular match? Well, this particular matchup because I suppose the, the both of these you teams... Know, sorry, you you kind of... Uh, kind of talking, talking in and around it. Um, yeah, the, you're talking about something else there. You're talking about a recruitment policy. Yes. Um, and that has been largely, I don't think there's much debate around it. The recruitment policy hasn't been as free as the provinces would like. IRFU have their say on it and everybody else has their, has their opinion on it. I personally think that the game is better off uh, for having a player of, say, uh, Charles Piedhaus level. Um, in in and for Ruan Pinar and the quality of players, if they're not foreign, if they're not overseas projects in the other provinces, is is questionable. You look at Bundyaki and he's a he's a fantastic, uh, improvement to the to the game and to the Pro 12. Um, as far as internationals go, you you know you look up the matchups that are going to happen this weekend. You kind of you Peter Romani's back. Whoever he's playing against is going to be Josh van der Flyer, Dan Levy. Great matchup there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jamie Heaslip against um, CJ Sander again a great uh, a, a great um, a great a great back up there and um, the f- 15 Simon Zebo is going to be coming back in and um, if Rob Carney fit you know there the, there is matchups right across the it's I'm sorry it does look like it's going to be a little bit early for Robbie Henshaw but there is pl- there's plenty of potential matchups and the quality the names probably you're not talking about them largely in the same breath as you talk of an O'Connell O'Driscoll or an Agara. Mm-hmm. But how many people? How many times are we going to have players of that caliber in one generation again? You know, they're sometimes one one in a generation players, and we seem to ha- we seem to get two or three or four of them in every team. So maybe we're just it was a very rich uh, um, period. Um, but you know, there's guys like Jack McGrath, who I'd be I'm very interested to see how he goes in this game. It'll be a very uh, important season for him, you know, a potential Lions tour at the end of this year for him. Gordon, thanks very much for coming no on today. I really, really thanks appreciate much, it. Guys. And uh, all the best. Yeah, we we'll look forward to Take reading care. you in the Irish Times. I just fade I away. Feel it. And it's Isabella Mayer who hits the sweet spot for Lanster. It's Welcome to the rugby version of Action Replay Extra Time. Uh, we're here to discuss all things um, rugby, uh, Chabby's Cup action, and it's going to be an inevitably emotional weekend in, in the rugby this weekend. I'm joined here by Joseph O'Gorman and Billy Keenan. How are you getting on, lads? Yep, very well. You know, Anthony Foley's passing shows that despite dwindling attendances and success, you know, Munster still matters. You know, Munster still matters to Ireland. What we, as members of other provinces, that image that appears in your head as soon as you hear the word, the name, the history and culture comes to the fore, 
that Munster as a team still matters to its people and I think the overwhelming support from players ex-past players coaches within Ireland clubs from abroad it's been phenomenal and it really shows the integrity of rugby is still there people talk about money taking over the sport but it yeah, these amateur-esque aspects to it you know clapping your team off the field you know making a tunnel those three cheers these are still important and I think Anthony Foley and what everyone has said about it he reduces back to its core and important parts and I think he just epitomise, epitomises that, that, that bit about rugby that bit that's special and I think all of the extra time uh, we, we, we give our condolences to the Foley family and the Munster community and all, all of Irish who has been affected by this by this tragic loss but that's all we have time for unfortunately lads um, you can you can look at our, our please check our extra time podcast on SoundCloud and list, tune in to Action Replay on Monday at 7pm and, and Thursday at 6pm that's all we have time for lads I'd like to thank Billy and I'd like to thank Joseph and bye for now uh, ladies and gentlemen we have to bring you some deeply shocking and tragic news that has just come through to us I had, a, I had a telephone conversation with Anthony not long after I was appointed and um, I was really, really impressed by the calibre of the man, even though it was only a short conversation. And Foley scores his fourth try for Ireland. Out of nothing. Great play. Everything that we know about Munster Rugby now, the uncompromising nature of it, the honesty of it, that was Anthony Foley. He came out of the soil of Munster, and it's just a terrible sadness that he's going back into that soil too early. Foley 